Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. Man, church has been great. Uh, I wish, I've been realizing over the last few months or so, like when I preach or when I know what Marilee's going to share, because we talked about it leading up to it, um, and then the worship set preaches the sermon. And I always wish you guys could have the advanced notes and, and see how that's working out. Uh, but today was really good. Um, we're in the Rooted series, like Pastor Cameron said. It's week seven of eight. Seven of eight. And um, the whole idea is to be rooted in Christ. And today is a little different flavor. We'll talk about how than some of the other weeks. But the thing that's most important is what was preached through the worship set. Jesus is beautiful and amazing and glorious, and he invites you into his kingdom and into relationship with him. And so when we talk about some um, real clear warnings in Scripture, that's the basis that it's coming from, from his love for you, for wanting your best because he loves you so much. Okay. Um, So would you... We're going to start the way we've started each of the other weeks, by standing together. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to read our scripture passage, which is for the whole series, Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Let's read it all together. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It's kind of ironic that I messed up at the part that is the verse for today, the one I've been looking at all week and thinking about uh, intensively. Okay, so here's where we're at. Eight weeks, we've broken that passage. We've just read into eight parts. We're in week seven of eight. And the whole series is about being rooted in Christ, rooted in our identity in him. And I've shared before we even started this series that this is a theme for us even beyond just eight weeks. But this sermon series is really kicking it off. It's a year to be rooted in Christ as individuals, rooted into who we are as a unique church family here at New Day Community Church, rooted into our core values as a church, and really into the mission that he's called us to. We're to be like a tree with good roots, sturdy, strong, healthy, growing, and fruitful. That's the idea. As you look through this list on the slide, each of the first seven weeks, I noticed, has been like a positive thing to do, right? Like, be rooted. Or, that's not the first one. Receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live in him. Be rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith, overflowing with faithfulness or thankfulness. These are all positive encouragements to do. And then we get to this week, and um, it's a different thing. It's uh, an apostolic warning is what it is. The tone changes in the passage, and it's like the Apostle Paul is writing, warning, caution, watch out, guys. 
There's something you got to know about. There's trouble on the path ahead. Be aware of it. And so today we talk about being free from captivity. We check out that apostolic warning, and it comes from this verse that says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So there are philosophies, there are people, and there are powers opposed to Christ in this world. And because you are a Christian, they are opposed to you as well. If you're not on guard, they will trap you, ensnare you, imprison you. Don't be taken captive and miss out on what God has for you, you guys. That's the message today in a nutshell. And I'm done. That was awesome. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have plenty more and <laughs> spent enough time on it. I'd like to say it, so if you don't mind, then we'll have lunch. Okay, so I was thinking, if our, I was thinking about captivity, right? And I was thinking about our theme rooted and trees. And I was like, well, what does a captive tree look like, you know? And so this is what I came up with, a potted plant. Can you imagine if you bought a tree? We planted a bunch of trees out on the property last year as part of New Day Nature Trails project, right? Imagine if instead of planting the saplings outside, we had put them in a little pot, like in the picture on my slide, and just left it there. Even if watered, right? There's a limit on how much it can grow. All of a sudden, it's captive in this little pot. Its roots can't get out. So it can only grow so big. It could only bear so much fruit. It's quite a limitation. Well, New Dayers, I want you to know, you are trees spiritually. You're meant to grow and flourish and extend your branches wide to be fruitful and multiply spiritually and in raising families. <laughs> and uh, that's what God has for you. You're supposed to put out wide, deep, healthy roots, not be put in a pot <laughs> and limited. So keep that in mind as what it might mean to be taken captive as we work our way through this verse. And know that that's not God's best for you. He doesn't limit your growth. He wants you to flourish, grow, and be healthy and strong. Okay, so the first part of our verse today says, see to it that no one takes you captive. We're just going to go phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word through this. I was thinking about see to it. <clears throat> and I thought of the boss-employee relationship. Imagine a boss comes up to you and says, I'm not your boss, but we'll just pretend for this. Hey, see to it. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> Should have chose someone other than Marley, right? It kind of got loaded. <laughs> We're pretending. <laughs> hey, see to it that you finish those TPS reports by Monday. I need those TPS reports. Or imagine like a parent and a child. Uh-oh, sorry guys, here I come for the parent. <laughs> hey. I always pick on you guys. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a parent says to a child, see to it that you get your laundry folded. All right, what does that mean? In both cases, someone is asking you to take responsibility for a task, right? Uh, make sure it gets done. Hey, this conversation is about, I didn't mean to, <laughs> I wasn't calling you out. It's, it's like they're saying, hey, I need assurance that it's going to get done. I'm placing it under your responsibility. Does that make sense? See to it. 
And now, what if that was said to someone in a protective role? I'm going to stop doing examples. That didn't go so good. <laughs> I'll just stay back here behind the podium this time. What if it's said to someone whose job is to protect and serve? Hey, see to it that no enemy approaches the gate unnoticed. Right? A watchman on the walls. See to it that the president arrives safely. Right? Secret service agent. See to it that no spy sneaks into our ranks and undermines the mission. Now it means to be on guard. It means to keep watch and to protect, doesn't it? I think both meanings are loaded into this. And so, just to put it in other words, see to it that no one takes you captive means, hey, take responsibility for the task to stay on guard and protect yourself and one another in the family of God. See to it. Takes you captive, it turns out, is just one Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. This one's hard. But it means carry off as spoils, lead captive, or seduce. Okay? And so I think of captives who are prisoners of war. Right? In war, an enemy sometimes comes and by force takes prisoners and locks them up and takes them out of the fight. They're rendered useless for the cause of fighting war. And so, like, this is saying, be on your guard. Protect yourselves from attack. Don't get captured by the enemy forces. But there's another type of captivity that I thought of as well, which is being taken captive by ideology, right? Turning traitor or double agent. And that's where David Greenglass comes in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and some others. Imagine World War II. There's a race to build an atomic bomb. And the United States is trying to beat Germany to the punch. And there's a third party involved. The Soviet Union was an ally to the U.S. in the World War, but it was sort of testy, right? It's like, I'm not too sure about these guys. Um, You can judge how it turned out. Anyways, Uh, The Russians wanted an atomic bomb, too, because they wanted that power as well. And so what they started doing was working on infiltrating the United States project so they could learn about it and advance their own project more quickly to get a leg up. So what do you do? You develop spies. And um, something called the Young Communist League was in operation here in the United States. And what they did was played to ideological sympathies of many Americans. They were getting these folks' beliefs and allegiances to shift, preparing some to be recruited as Soviet spies. And a man named Alexander Feklasov, it's really fun to say, recruited American David Greenglass, the guy in the picture on my slide with the red box around him, and his wife Ruth to spy for the Soviet Union. And he wrote home to Moscow a report about this couple. He said, they're young Intelligent, capable, and politically developed people. They'd been developed by the Communist League. They strongly believe in the cause of communism and wishing to do their best to help our country as much as possible. They are undoubtedly devoted to us. Americans devoted to the Soviet cause of communism. Traitors and double agents. Nobody stormed U.S. territory and forced these guys to do this, right? They weren't forcibly imprisoned, but instead they were taken captive by an ideology 
they were seduced and turned on their country. So guys, be on guard. Protect yourself against propaganda. Don't be seduced by opposing ideologies, ideologies that are opposed to Christ. That's what we're talking about today. Sometimes some will try to take you by force, but more often in our day, in age, and culture, it's the seduction of opposing ideologies that are trying to draw you away from Christ. So protect your faith from compromise, from shifting allegiances, and eventually turning away from Christ entirely. Nobody's getting recruited by the Soviet Union in this room because they don't exist as the Soviet Union anymore. But you, if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it really translates well that there's an enemy lurking, infiltrating, and hoping to turn you away from Jesus. His goal is to limit you like a potted plant rather than a tree, render you useless to the cause of Christ, and ultimately to steal kill, and destroy you. So be on guard. Watch out. Heed the warnings. In another one of Paul's writings, he writes to Timothy, who's a pastor at a church in Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy about how to conduct godly counter-espionage. Nobody would ever call it that, but in this context, I will, (laughs) because it's kind of fun to say. Um, He wants Timothy to work on turning back those who have gone traitor. And he talks about how. He says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You know, and that's not just the pastor's job. That's all of our jobs. There are people in your life who have been seduced and taken captive. And I would encourage you not to get caught up in foolish and stupid arguments or just in person, but instead gently instruct. Have hope that they will come to their senses and you can help free them from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive. And so this is a war, a spiritual war being fought, right? And so we learn in 2 Corinthians how it works. What are the weapons of our warfare? How do we free spiritual POWs? It says we do not wage war as the world does. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Come on. It's a spiritual war. Okay, guys, so see to it that no one takes you captive. And even better than that, why don't you take some captives of your own? In the battlefield of arguments, ideology, and propaganda, take every thought captive. Make every thought obedient to Christ. Gently instruct others to free them from their captivity. That's good stuff. (laughs) That's what we're called to do. Okay, let's move on to our next phrase. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The enemies, ideologies, arguments, outlooks, philosophies, they're hollow. They're hollow. The Greek word translated hollow means vain, 
empty and empty-handed. And it's found in other places in the Bible. That same Greek word is in the New Testament and other locations. And if you check out the, like everybody's going to go do this, <laughs> you can trace it to the Greek translation of the Old Testament as well. And in other places it's translated without effect, hollow, idle words, utterly useless or foolish. So in my own words, hollow means empty. It's a philosophy of no strength or substance. It might appear okay on the outside, but crumbles under load. It cannot bear weight. And what it makes me think of in real life is termite-damaged wood. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen termite damage in a home. Um, It can go unnoticed at first. These little bugs crawl in and they start eating along the grain of the wood and sort of hollow it out from the inside out. Eventually you'll see the little holes like in the picture on my slide. Um, But it can appear okay for a while on the outside. Um, But left unchecked, the integrity of the board is lost. And eventually it can't bear a load anymore. It can't bear weight like it's supposed to because there's no strength left in it. And um, if you know what you're looking for, you can spot it by eye, but you can also like... uh, the WikiHow website where I got this little picture, tap on it with a screwdriver. But the idea is something that's hollow, right? That's for you, Dan. <laughs> you can hear if there's nothing in there. <laughs> Mine's not hollow. There's something going on up there. Um, but you can tap on a board and hear if it's hollow inside. Okay, so this is what Paul's saying about competing philosophies. Philosophies that compete with Christianity, they look solid but are empty on the inside. If you put your trust in them, they will fail. So knock on every idea. Test every notion. Examine every philosophy, you guys. See if it's strong or weak. Solid or hollow. We live in a time with great access to competing philosophies. I bet you've got some in your pocket. Within 10 seconds, you could be watching or listening to them. So we've got to learn to look for the signs of emptiness. We've got to have some skills to be able to see if that idea is one that can bear weight or not. So let me give you an example. Um, A part of the verse we're not going to spend a whole lot of time getting to is the next part where it says, hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human traditions. And so Jesus ran into some hollow philosophers (laughs) who based their philosophies on human traditions. So let's check it out in Mark chapter 7. Jesus says to these guys, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Good on the outside, but not on the end. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Can you imagine a Pharisee dressed just right, walking around, memorized the scripture, has all the rules, is checking all the boxes, and Jesus is like, nope, that's human tradition. There's no substance to that. It's empty inside. In another place he says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, 
first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Jesus cares about what's going on inside. Philosophies that are rooted in Christ are not hollow, but substantive. They can bear weight. They can bear the weight of real life, you guys. They can bear the weight of your eternal destiny. They are substantive. Okay, I want to give you a little tip, right? Screwdriver maybe helps you find termite-damaged wood, but how do you spot hollow philosophies, spiritually speaking? Well, Proverbs says, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. It is so true. I've, I've come across little things, you know, we talked about all the philosophies you can get so quick on your phone, right? And sometimes I see one, and I know it's not biblical, but it sounds kind of convincing. And I'm like, wait, I think that's not right. Why is that not right? And I'm not quite sure. And you know why? Because I've only heard one side of the case. I haven't heard a cross-examination yet to challenge it. And so this is so true. And so I want to encourage you, don't blindly accept the opening arguments of a prosecuting attorney. Did you know the devil is called the accuser of the brethren? If you think about a court case, he's the prosecuting attorney. And he's going to make a horrible case against Christianity, against you, against your brothers and sisters. He's got lots of cases he likes to make. Don't accept the opening arguments as fact. (laughs) Don't accept the testimony of his witnesses at face value. Don't fail to cross-examine his witnesses and his case. Instead, make a defense for your faith. You can be confident that your faith, the case for faith in Christ, is strong. It has substance. It will stand up to good reason in the court of opinion, although everybody's going to have theirs. There's good reason to believe in Christianity. You have good reason to put your trust in Christ. You have witnesses you can call to the stand. The scriptures speak. They're taught and empowered and brought to life by the Holy Spirit himself, you guys. The testimonies of Jesus in the lives of your friends, your family, your own life, mentors. And you know what? The beauty of creation itself makes a case for Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 says to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. So be ready to cross-examine. And if you ever get confused by a clever argument, ask for help. There are plenty of co-counsels out there. You can find really good Christian apologists on YouTube, podcasts, and places that will help you cross-examine ideas. Just search it. Come ask a question of a spiritual mentor or leader here at New Day, and we'll help you to evaluate the philosophies that you're seeing. Does that sound good? All right. Deceptive philosophies. We got another Greek word here, apateo, I think is how you say that one. It means to cheat, delude, or deceive. So the idea is that some philosophies, some people presenting those, are actually intending to trick you. It's not what it seems on the surface. There's something else going on. And so I have three types of these I want to spend a little time on, all right? Hold up a three if you're still with me. Okay, okay, okay. If, if the person next to you didn't hold up a three, just give them a little three tap, wake them up. Yeah, 
three taps with your three fingers. Tap, tap, tap. Aaliyah says she does it like this. My pinky doesn't want to cooperate, so I do it like that. That's enough about that. Okay, here's the three things. False teachers. And then a category of three W's. Worries, wealth, and worldliness. Easy for me to say. And three sinful desires. Okay, so false teachers are an affront to the truth and kingdom of God. 2 Peter chapter 2 just rants and raves about. No, rants. We talked about this this week. Those two words are really similar. I get them confused. He goes off about the false teachers. He calls them springs without water, mists driven by a storm. They promise freedom but are slaves of depravity. Hollow, in other words, hollow. (laughs) They um, They deny the Lord as sovereign God. They profess destructive heresies. They're greedy. They fabricate stories. They're blasphemous. They're adulterous. They're arrogant. They're boastful. That's all in 2 Peter 2. Many false teachings, you guys, are clearly opposed to Christianity. So if you, this is something I like to watch on YouTube. A little pull back the curtain into Bill's world here. I watch debates between atheists and Christian scholars sometimes quite a lot. And in that setting, it's really clear, right? The atheist is going to argue his case and try to convince the audience that it's good. It's clearly opposed to Christianity. You know what? Most instances in our actual daily lives are not like that. Instead, it's a deceptive philosophy masquerading as something good rather than out and out trying to convince you. I hope that makes sense. And no wonder, the scripture says, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. In other words, not everyone's going to tell you, hey, I'm about to oppose Christianity here. Will you give me an ear? (laughs) Nope, that's not how it works. And so I want to give you an example. Um, I don't mean to trigger, but it might. I'll just say that. Um. Current events. This is current news in America today. In our public school system, an after-school club is popping up. They are after-school Satan clubs. And this is their promotional material on their website. Now, in the promotional material, here's what it says about the after-school Satan clubs. I believe at least one of them was at an elementary school, you guys. It says that the club is to promote self-directed education that it's there to support the intellectual and creative interests of students. That these people behind these clubs don't believe in introducing religion into public schools. Oh, no. Instead, they focus on science, critical thinking, creative arts, and good works for the community. It's a safe and inclusive alternative to religious clubs, they say. And they say those religious clubs... Maybe a Bible study. I don't know what they're referring to exactly. Probably that. Religious clubs, they say, use threats of eternal damnation to convert school children to their belief system. So what do you think of this promotional material? Is it truthful or tricky? (laughs) Yeah. How about this logo? I don't know how well you can see it from where you're sitting. But their logo says the Satanic Temple, After School Satan Club, and there's a picture of this cartoon devil 
who's sort of a mix between like a Looney Tunes character and a college professor. Hey, we're just doing some education and having fun after school here, right? With the devil. <laughs> is that a truthful uh, is that a truthful depiction of who's worshipped at the satanic temple? I think not. And just to be sure, I went to the Satanic Temple website this week, and I checked out uh, bits of and pieces of one of their online temple services, and they opened with their intention to, quote, embrace the impulse to eat of the tree of knowledge. Which, if you're not catching that as a clear reference to the fall of mankind in Genesis, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they chose to make themselves their own God, put themselves on par with God. It resulted in everything you hate about this world. All the sin, destruction, and death that was unleashed upon us. All the, when you look around the world and go, this is not right. Jesus, would you fix it? All of that was unleashed by doing the very thing the Satanic Temple sets their intention to do every time they have a service. They believe that Christianity is delusional and say so. And they ended their service by saying, Hail Satan and hail ourselves. Now I just want to ask you, does that sound non-religious? As they said, are the people behind the happy-go-lucky, do-good-works-in-the-community-after-school-Satan club non-religious, or do they have a religion of their own? They do, absolutely. Would you say it's just a little after-school fun and good for the community? I would not. (laughs) I would not. Don't be fooled. Philosophies can be deceptive. They can be packaged in a way that sound nice and have something very, very harmful inside. Okay. Our second type of deceptive philosophy is in this category of worries, wealth, and worldliness. Um, This stuff is sort of in the water of our culture, you guys. Um, There are embedded messages in our 21st century American culture, um, and there's outlooks on life that are contrary to God's truth. And so we need to start to dial in and understand them so we don't just consume them. Um, Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower. He said, Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Okay, so listen carefully here. This part could be misconstrued or misunderstood pretty easily. So I want to be clear. Just dial in. Make sure you're paying close attention here. Worries and wealth are two sides of the same coin. Both can make money the primary focus of your life rather than God. Worry can fixate on the lack of money. And deceitful wealth can focus on obtaining more and never be satisfied. What I'm not saying is that all wealth is bad. Right? But deceitfulness of wealth is a thing. Jesus told us about it. Right? And if it becomes the thing, if the philosophy trumps Christ or uproots you from Christ, then it becomes a problem then it's a deceptive philosophy, and it can feed on itself and destroy you. Merrily talked a couple weeks ago about how worry 
comes from placing our faith in lack rather than in God. And so if we were to sort of transform that into a question for you today in the context of hollow and deceptive philosophies, I would ask you this. Do you have a primary philosophy of worry, of wealth, or of faith-filled stewardship rooted in Christ? Right? Is your philosophy rooted in money or lack, gaining or wishing you had some? Or is your philosophy, when it comes to money especially, rooted in Christ, full of faith that he will provide, trusting in him to do so, and stewarding what he's given you well? That's what I mean by faith-filled stewardship. Worldliness is a term that I'm using here. Um, anyways, to describe cultural philosophies that are just sort of baked into our society, right? If you go with the flow, you'll be caught in the current of these types of philosophies. Have you ever heard the cultural message, live your truth? Raise your hand if you have. Yeah, right? It's probably an old one by now if I'm aware of it. So anyways, is it accurate? Let's just knock on that one for a second and see what it contains. Is there an underlying message in live your truth? I think there is. I think it's saying you're the ultimate authority of your life. The buck stops with you. I think it says nobody should tell you what to do or what you can't do. I think it says you actually have the authority to choose your own truth and own set of moral values. And I think it says you're the final judge of that. I think that's what's embedded in that little phrase. And it's deceptive, folks, because the reality, Scripture says that Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He actually embodies truth. He defines truth. He judges our alignment with it. We have a moral obligation to our creator as his creation. He has every right to demand things of us. He earned it by nature of who he is and what he has done. So live your truth is nonsense. Utter nonsense. <laughs> Can I say it more plainly than that? And if you're a Christian, you are not called to live your truth. You're called to live his truth. And it is the best and most beautiful thing for you. And it is where you will find value and life and all the things that your heart longs for. Okay. The third one is sinful desires. I would say I'm closing with this, but that would be lying just a little bit. So I, I'm not quite closing with this, but I'm approaching a close. We're circling the airport, and we're coming in for a landing soon, folks, and then we'll have a potluck. For Christians, the sinful desires philosophy reveals itself through compromise, I think. If you're a Christian, you believe Jesus died on the cross for you, he rose from the dead, and he grants you eternal life in the kingdom of God. And this becomes yours by bowing your knee to him, making him Lord and King in addition to Savior. And then as an offering of thanks and praise, you commit to follow him with all your heart. You live according to his commands and instructions as a response to his great salvation and love for you. In another Paul letter, it says this, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You are not to do whatever you want. 
And right there's the rub of the sinful desires philosophy. Let me give you some examples. When Jesus says, do not look at a woman lustfully, you have a decision to make. Is your philosophy based on Christ or your own desires? Sneak a peek or play around. Will you do whatever you want or repent and obey him? Right? That's what comes into play right there at that moment. Similarly, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, you have a decision to make. Will you love your neighbor or envy his truck? Just for example. Will you love your neighbor or hate her for her political opinions? And let her know so. <laughs> With a little finger wag. Will you love your neighbor or get ahead regardless of who you trampled to get there? Right? Will your desires drive what you do? Or will your, your obedience to a loving, beautiful Savior drive what you do? And will you not gratify those desires because you know it's not right to do whatever you want. It's right to obey him. There are all kinds of sinful desires. I only picked two little examples from the teachings of Jesus, but he's got plenty more, guys. There's all kinds of sinful desires to watch out for. And what these do is try to get a foothold in your mind. And if so, they develop into a philosophy opposed to Christ. They leak out in our words and actions and oppose us being able to walk by the Spirit. So don't compromise with sinful desires. <laughs> Sounds easy, right? Simple, but not easy, I would say. Take every desire captive and make it obedient to Christ. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? The Spirit empowers us to obey, empowers us to live the life that we actually want most. And you guys, the beauty of the cross is that when we fail to do so, forgiveness is available. That's what he came to do, <laughs> to redeem and forgive our sins. <clears throat> so here's where we've been today. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We covered hollow and deceptive philosophies pretty well. I thought there were some cool examples to sort of get your brain turning about what sort of things to watch out for. And we noted that this part of our passage, this part of our Rooted series, is a real apostolic warning. Watch out. I love you guys. Be careful. There are pitfalls on the journey. Paul says that, and I agree. I love you guys. Watch out for these pitfalls. Don't be taken captive. No matter the slick and appealing packaging, these hollow and deceptive philosophies do not deliver anything of substance. It's a trap. Don't be deceived. The only philosophy worth holding to is rooted in Christ himself. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So guys, let no deceptive philosophy take you from his hand. Live free from captivity, and enjoy your redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Thank you, Bill. You know, um, just as he was speaking, I, I was thinking about 
how um, TV commercials, if you watch TV and you actually watch like the TV that has commercials in it, those commercials are like so deceptive, right? Eventually, I mean, if you grew up in the 70s and you didn't have a choice to DVR something, uh, you would believe like, oh, I have to look a certain way. I have to be a certain way. And and I, like some of my lifelong struggles are because of some of those ads on TV. And and they were just trying to get me to buy something. You know, are are we seeing the world through its, it's wanting you to buy stuff, wanting you to believe stuff. And then let's not even go into politics, right? Jesus was very clear. He said, you need to love God and love others, including your enemies. Are we doing that? Like everything could be put down to an acid test. Is this loving? And, and don't, don't hear me say it's easy, because it's not easy. To love somebody means also to speak truth. But is your truth based in a relationship with them? And I would challenge you, when you get on social media, there's lots of people that you don't actually have a relationship with. So be careful what you post. Something I might say to Jim, because he's my friend, I'm not going to post it, because not everyone there is going to receive it. And I, I just, as Bill was sharing, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to pray. So this is what we're going to pray. And you're going to stand because it's right when we pray to stand, if you can. So, Father, I just ask that you would give us eyes to see, that you would open our spiritual eyes to see the way you see, that we would be able to see the deceptions as they come. And you would give us a humbleness of heart because truly following Jesus, as Pastor Cameron preached the very first week, means to make him Lord over it all. I give you complete authority in my life. Help me to see what you see. Help us to be humble. Help us to deny ourselves and those sinful desires because we want to submit to you. So, Lord, today we just give you our whole life, not just the one that comes on Sunday morning, but the one that wakes up every day. Lord, that we would serve you in every way that you've called us to. We would protect the unity that you died for. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen.